All right, so we're going to continue on this morning talking about marriage. Um, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for you this morning concerning that. Uh, but before we jump into that, we have another video for you. So if you want to go ahead and play that for us, Mike. Well, thank you guys for being willing to sit down and chat with me about your marriage. Um, there's obviously a lot of experience in this congregation, um, a lot of really strong couples, and uh, you guys are definitely one of those examples, one of those strong couples. And so we wanted just to sit down and chat a little bit. I wanted to ask you a few questions and uh, just get some feedback, some advice for how to have a strong marriage. So my first question, the big one, the hardest question, how long have you been married? <clears throat> 31 three quarters. Yeah, 31 three quarter <laughs> years. So 32 we, September 5th. How did you guys meet? How did you uh, fall in love? What's your story? What made you want to marry each other? Well, I, um, first of all, I'd go over to Illinois to uh, see my cousin. And I was a junior in high, junior high school and she was a sophomore. And uh, my cousin played football for the high school, and I'd go over there and watch him play. Well, Jimmy introduced me to Sherry. She, they were uh, in the cafeteria of the high school. Um, of course, uh, she had her cheerleading outfit on, so. Um, you can tell him, go ahead and tell him. I thought she was hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's our word for this video. Hot. 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 I know I about died when he told me that. I was like, oh my gosh. That's good. So, so growing up, um, obviously our parents have a huge influence on how we view marriage and how we view it, how it's supposed to look. Um, growing up, did you have good examples growing up? And if so, how did that affect your marriage? Or maybe you did have a good example. What? How did that maybe affect your marriage? For for me, you know, <clears throat> the whole family was a good Christian family, and, and I grew up in the church, and I've never known any different. And um, I just, both my grandparents had uh, been married over 50 years together, and um, it's just, that's all I knew. And then um, I live. Well, I was brought up in a Christian home. My dad did not attend. My my biological father did not attend church, but my mom was very active in her local church. Um, but my mom and dad divorced when I was nine, and I think they'd had eleven years of marriage between them when that was a um, very rough time for me and my brother. Um, and then she remarried two years later and I gained a sister. Um, and then they divorced after 17 years of marriage. Um, so that was very difficult for me to comprehend. And um, a lot of brokenness, <laughs> I think. There was a lot of brokenness. So when he proposed, we spent probably the first two or three months just talking about the type of marriage we wanted. Um, and I said to him, I said, um, you want to get emotional. <laughs> but 
I want to marry you for a lifetime. I wanted to set the example for not only him and I, but I wanted to set the example for our kids. Yeah. So they have seen um, how we have grown, not just in our faith with Christ, but how we've grown together in our marriage, how we work things through. Um, you know, it's, it, it seems hard, but I love him. I love this man. What's maybe the one thing you would say that's made your marriage as good as it is today? I know I ask this question to every couple because it's different for every couple. Right. Um, Because there's so many factors that can go into it. But just right on the spot, what's that one thing that you would say has made your marriage as strong as it is today? You have to have a Christ-based marriage. I... um had a feed come over Facebook a couple weeks ago, and it was, you have to have three people in a marriage. You have to have Christ, yourself, and your spouse. And I so believe that. Um, and we we tell our kids that all the time. If you don't have Christ-based as a foundation, then you're not going to get through all the hardships of life, marriage. No matter what you try to go tackle, it's going to fall apart. And then you'll figure out later, you know, Christ is huge. If you could offer any advice to maybe a younger couple or really just any couple that is has been married for a while, um, how do you have a strong marriage? How do you have a marriage that lasts for 30 years and going strong? Don't, don't give up. The word that keeps coming to me is be victorious in your marriage, be victorious in your marriage. But I think fight for your marriage. Fight. Fight for each other. For it, yeah. Don't Not fight against, a- each against each other. Wow. Don't fight against each other. Fight for each other. Know that you have each other's back at the end. Just fight for your marriage. Fight for each other. Mm-hmm. Never, never, never give up. Let's hear it for Brian and Sherry. I love their example because they didn't come from the same background. And uh, they, uh, you know, Brian had an example growing up of uh, how many years, 50-some year, you know, marriage uh, that he saw in his household, and, and Sherry didn't. It was a different circumstance, a different, uh, different challenges, but... I love how that didn't affect their marriage, that they still are strong, that they're um, doing well and thriving. And uh, 32 years, is that what it said in the video? Almost 32? Yeah. So just what a great example to, to the congregation and to those around you of, of what a strong marriage looks like. So, so thank you for, for, for having a good marriage. So, all right. Well, let's, let's just pray for a minute. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here this morning, Lord. God, I pray you would just come and speak to our hearts. Father, that you would just become or just come and bring wholeness, bring uh, just revelation to our hearts, Father. God, we just ask you to speak this morning, Lord. We open our hearts to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the last several weeks, I don't even know how long we've been on the series, uh, we've talked a lot of about just 
practical ways to improve our marriages, to have strong marriages, and it has been. It's been very practical, a lot of advice, a lot of things we can do just to improve. Um, and this morning, I felt maybe to go just a little bit of a different direction, and uh, maybe we should have done this even at the beginning, because this is really more foundational kind of stuff. But I, I, want, I want to talk this morning just about why God invented marriage. What's the purpose of marriage? What, what's the whole point of a man and a woman coming together? What was God's big idea with all of that? And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that this morning. So to do that, we've got to go to Genesis chapter 2, where it all began, right? Right, all right. So Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 7. God had just created the heavens and the earth. He uh, created all the animals. He created a he separated the, the land and the sea. He did all of that. And then he formed man from the ground. In Genesis 2, it's 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And we'll skip a few verses and go to verse 18. And it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper comparable to him. And what's neat about this these verses is this, is that marriage is actually one of the very first things God created. That marriage was actually invented alongside humanity. So it's one of the oldest creations God has ever, has ever made. It's been around literally from the beginning of time. And so, so marriage has been around and has existed for a long, long time. And he didn't create marriage for himself. I love in, in verse 18 here, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. That God didn't make marriage for himself. He made marriage for us. Because he saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be by himself. Did God, make Adam, did God make Adam with a void? I don't believe so. I think God created the void in Adam so he could fulfill it with Eve that he created this void in Adam so that he could fill it with Eve, that he needed a partner to become whole, right? So we're going to get into that even a little bit later. So he created it so man could have companionship. God didn't create Adam with a void. He created, he created the void in Adam. He knew life would be better with, a companion, with companionship, with a friend to face all of life with. Now, after verse 18, it goes to verse 19, and this, as a kid, always kind of threw me off a little bit. I don't know, maybe you're, you're like me, and this is how you pictured verse 19, because then it says that God, that God saw that it was not good that Adam would be alone and that he needed a helper, right? Well, then in verse 19, all randomly goes to this. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, would brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever he called the, each living creature, that was his name. So I don't know if you're like me and you have this picture in your head of God bringing like a walrus in front of Adam and being like, how about this one? <laughs> and Adam's like, eh, let's move on. I don't know about that. And, you know, here's a zebra. What, what do you think? You know, I don't, I don't, that's not what's happening here. See, this verse, Genesis 1 and 2 is kind of confusing because the timeline kind of jumps around. So God actually, if you remember in chapter 1, God already created the beasts of the field, and all of that before he even formed Adam. So that's what's happening here is it jumps back to that, and it says that the God formed all of these beasts, and then he brought them to Adam so he could name them. He wasn't trying to pick a companion for Adam from the animals. God's, not, God's a little smarter than that, I believe. 
So I just thought I'd throw that bit of information out there, clear the air, because it helped me a lot understand that a little bit better. So then it goes, so you have verse 19, but then it goes to verse 21, and we jump back into this idea here of Adam needing a companion, and it says this, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This next verse, and we'll stop here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I love that God didn't create man and woman from a different mold. That he didn't pick one substance and then another substance and create them that God took the same mold and created a husband and a wife out of the same mold. That woman was actually pulled out of the man and that was the helper that God chose for the man. Was out of the same mold, was out of the same material. And I I love that because it says, um, I love that because they're out of the same mold, but then also it means this, it says, or it means that she, ha- that, that she has something that you need, and he has something that you need. Did I say that right? Sorry, I'm stumbling around there. Let me start that whole thing over again, just a redo, all right? So God take them out of the same mold, but it goes on to say that, that, um, that they are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I love that God took out of Adam um, the woman, because then that means that he has something that she needs. Here we go. I'll do it right this time. And she has something he needs. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. You got it. You, you got to figure it out. That we need each other to be whole. That God pulled out of Adam something and that in order for Adam to be complete again, he needs Eve in his life that the two shall become one flesh again, that they were originally one flesh. Then God broke him apart. And to be whole once again, you need that companion to bring about wholeness again in your life. That you need Eve, that you need your wife, that you need your husband to become whole. You see, you can't, you can't ask for a man to have his feminine side come out, right? Because God literally, all of the feminism in the man was in that rib, apparently. <laughs> that rib, I've also heard it said that, that God chose to take the rib that stretched across your belly that held it in. That was the rib that he took out. <laughs> so, so that's why we have those bellies there, guys. But all of, all, of the femi- all of the feminism was in that rib. Well, f- most of us, God took that feminism out. Some of you guys, I'm not sure about But he took that feminism out. He took out of man and broke the man so that in order to find real companionship, you have to be together to become whole. And this is the picture of what intimacy looks like. This is intimacy that the two that were once one, that were broken apart, are now becoming one again. Intimacy is oneness. Intimacy, I love how one person says it, that intimacy can be broken up into into me you see that intimacy is oneness. And so God literally 
literally broke apart a person, and in order for that person to be whole again, they have to find their companion, their, their wife, their husband, to become one again. Jerry Maguire said it right. You complete me, right? He knew what he was talking about. So this is wholeness. This is what intimacy looks like. And this is, this is the point of marriage. The point of marriage is to find wholeness, to have wholeness, to be in oneness with your spouse. So what, is that, what does that look like? And let me drive this, drive this point of oneness home just a little bit further. Let's go back to verse 18. Verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, a lot of people see that word helper and think it means slave. A lot of people see that word helper and think it means they're like my assistant. And, and sometimes we treat, some people treat their wives as like an assistant, and that that's the way God intended it to be, that, that they're the person that's come along to help. Like, I'm the big show, and she's just kind of here to help me along. And that's not what that means. That word helper is used in the Bible 19 times. Twice it's referred to women. 13 times it's referred to God. Now wait, do you think God's a slave? Do you think God's just an associate over here helping you? That's not what that word means. That word actually means in Hebrew, easier, or easier, easy, E-R, whatever that word is in Hebrew. And it means this, acts of supplying what is needed to another. Strength and power to complete a task. That word helper, once again, acts of supplying what is needed to another. Strength and power to complete a task. When that word is saying, when God is saying that man needed a helper, he's saying he needed somebody that could come along and bring power and strength to help complete this task of life. That you, that, that women are not just helpers or my little helper, that women are actually the thing that we need to make ourselves whole, to live this life out. That word comparable is interesting too. That word comparable in Hebrew actually means opposite, which is kind of interesting. You wouldn't think the word comparable means opposite, but that's what it means in Hebrew. It means opposite. How many of you understand that men and women are not the same creatures? And we've talked about this a lot throughout this series. I mean, you'd have to be brain dead not to realize that we think differently, we do things differently, and I don't even mean in just the stereotypical ways. We've talked a lot about some of those, those ways that men and women are wired differently, that men are more factual-based, that we think more in, I think it's, what is it, men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti, you know, we think more in boxes, and women can just flow, that, that men are more factual, that women think more emotionally, and you know, the list can go on, all of these things are true, but we're not just different in those stereotypical ways. We're, we're different in a lot of ways. And, and that can be different with each marriage. For example, for Amber and I, we're, we're different in a lot of ways. Let me give you a list here. I did not okay this with her beforehand. So this could be interesting. We're different in a lot of ways. For instance, Amber is a very organized, well-put-together person. And I'm not that way. I'm, I'm not very organized. I'm not very put together. Uh, I just kind of recently got introduced to the sticky note system, and it's revolutionized my life because she's, she's very organized. Let me tell you how organized Amber is. We're about to leave on this trip to go for a week with the youth to camp. 
I guarantee you when we get home, she will have a notebook out. And before she packs anything, she's going to write out every little thing that she needs, every little thing that each and every one of her kids needs for going, going with grandparents. She's going to write it all out, and then she's going to go, and she's going to get it all out. She's not going to put it in the suitcase. She's going to lay it all out on the bed. Every, every piece, all out on the bed, all of the bathroom stuff, she's going to lay out on the bathroom counter, and she's going to check everything off in the list. And then she's going to pack it all nice and neat in the suitcase. So that's Amber's packing. My packing, I grab a handful of underwear, I throw it in the bag, <laughs> done. I'm ready to go. That's, that's what I mean. She's organized. She's thought out. I'm, I'm not so much that way. So Amber, Amber is organized. She also can remember stuff. I'm not very good at remembering stuff. If you need to have something done, don't come see me. <laughs> Go to her because I will forget. And I, I did that uh, even this week with a, te- a few text messages. I think Zach texted me asking, hey, what's some information about this trip? He needed to know what time to be here. I read the text message. I put it in my pocket. I'm going to text him later. Never text him because <laughs> I forgot. Kathy texted me, I think, Tuesday. Hey, I need some help with something at the house. And I was driving in the car. I read it. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll text her back. Yesterday, maybe? <laughs> text her back. You know, I just, not, I just don't remember. That's why Amber has to get into my cell phone because she goes through my messages and like, hey, you never text this guy back. You never text this person back. And so she helps me that way. She remembers stuff. The other way we're different. Let's see here. Amber remembers stuff. Let's see. Amber's smart. I can reach stuff on the top shelf and pick up heavy stuff. Amber's good at math. I'm good at English. And that's why she, she does the textbook, or not textbook. She does the checkbook, and I write the scholarship recommendation letters that all the students ask us to write. She likes things to be scheduled. I'm more of a wing it kind of guy, you know? She, she schedules things out. Um, example of this, so this Friday, we, uh, the next day, Saturday, we just had an extremely busy day Saturday. We had to pick up the rental vans. We had to uh, hit three different open houses, and different, one in Kokomo, the other one's up here. We had a baseball game. We had to mow the lawn. We had, I had to prepare for, for today for the message. It's just a crazy busy day. So Friday, Amber, the whole day is just throughout the day talking about, okay, how are we going to do this Saturday? What are we going to do Saturday? And, and she probably had been doing that the rest of the week. It's just Friday I just started noticing it. She had probably been thinking about Saturday the whole week. And, but Friday, she starts just, just trying to figure it out. And the whole time, she's, she's like, oh, maybe we can do this. How are we going to get here? When are we going to leave? I'm just thinking, let's just wake up and see what happens, you know? <laughs> like, we'll get it done. We'll figure it out. But no, we, she had to schedule it. She had to plan the whole thing. Even when we were dating, it was like this. Even when we were dating, she, uh, for instance, one, one week, uh, she, she had just graduated high school and she uh, was going on a, on a, on a trip with, with Buzz and Donna, her grandparents. They were taking her to some beach somewhere. I can't remember where. And it, there was no communication. Like, we could only talk to each other on the phone for a few hours a day. So, or for not even that. Yeah, like a few minutes a day. And so she's gone. And, you know, I'm just doing my thing. I'm, I'm at this point, I'm living in an apartment with, with a buddy of mine. And so I'm doing my thing, thing throughout the week. She gets back and she's like, so, so how was the wedding? I was like, what wedding? What are you talking about? Tess, like our really good friend that we've known our entire lives growing up. She got married this week. How was the wedding? Oh, that was this week? <laughs> the day that I was supposed to be at the wedding, I think I probably slept in. I 
played some video games. I, you know, she wasn't there to tell me, hey, we got to get ready to go to a wedding. So my, my life is completely different now that we're married. If, if we weren't married, I'd be a totally different person. I'm telling you, because I, I, I probably wouldn't even remember it's Sunday today and wouldn't have showed up <laughs> to be here. So, so we're just different. And, and we, we do things differently. We think differently. She has what I need, and I have what she needs. Sometimes she needs to just wing it, right? Sometimes I need to get rid of the wing it thing and actually have a schedule so we can actually get something done, right? So we, we, we're all like that, and, and it could look different for each and every person. Not, not every person is the same way. And, and God did that on purpose, that your spouse has what you need, and you have what your spouse needs that you actually need each other to be whole. And that God did it on purpose from the very beginning of time, that this was the plan, that wholeness can be found in your spouse. And so, I, and I know what some of you are thinking, what about people who are single? What about people who, who don't get married? And Paul talks about that. Paul actually says, it's, I believe, in a, somewhere where Paul wrote in the Bible, I think Ephesians, possibly, I don't remember. But he says, he says, um, no, it's Corinthians. He says, uh, I wish all would be like me and be, be single and be celibate. Because Paul saw the value of that for ministry. He saw the value of being able to be wholly focused on ministry, on sharing the gospel. Because when you have a family, you're, you do have to have your attention on your family. And you have to take time for your spouse and your family. So Paul saw the benefits of being single but he also says, but this actually takes a gift, that it actually takes a, a special gift to be celibate, and that it's a gift from God to certain people to be single, and that their wholeness can be found uh, holy in the Lord and holy in the ministry. And that, but, but it actually does, it takes a gift to be single, and that those people that have that gift man, they can accomplish some amazing, incredible things for the ministry because there's just a value in that. But, but it does. It takes a gift. And for those of us who don't have that gift, man, we need that companion. Why do you think it is that, that the world, I mean, the entire planet, from a, the young, from a young age, we're looking for that partner. We're looking for that boyfriend or girlfriend when we're in high school to to, to hang out with. We're looking for that, that spouse right out of college. We're trying to find the person that we want to spend the rest of our life with. It's because there's, there's a fulfillment in marriage that just, it completes us. It makes us whole. That's why, have you ever wondered, why do non-Christians get married? I mean, it's a, it's a biblical concept that it was born in the Bible. It was created by God. Why, why do even... Christians have this desire to find companionship with one person for the rest of their lives. It's because in our nature, we long for that companion, for that one that can complete us and make us whole. We long for that. Even non-Christians naturally, instinctively look for that. And so that's the whole point of marriage, that we would find wholeness in our spouse, that they would actually give us what we need and that we can give them what they need and that there's this, this wholeness in there. So that's, that's, what, that's what, what, what marriage is for. Ephesians 5.28 says this. It says, go ahead and go to that. Ephesians 5, go back, 
go back one if you can. Maybe I didn't get it in there. Ephesians 5.28. Let me, let me just open it up here. Okay, I must not have, I must not have got it in there. It says, it says this. It says, The husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me read it one more time and see if you catch it. It says, The husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why does Paul say this? Because once again, that when we are married, when we become married, we come back together and form one flesh. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is what Adam says. That we actually come back together. And so he says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself because there's this oneness, there's com- this completion in all of that. And then it goes on to say, says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And this is, this is where I'm going to transition here into the next part of this message. Because the first part, I wanted you to see the purpose of marriage, that God created it for us. He had us in mind when he did it, that we can find that spouse to complete us, to make us whole, that they had what we need and we had what they need. But it doesn't just stop there. That's not the only reason God did create in marriage. And then it goes on in verse, verse 30 and says, for we are members of his body and his flesh and of his bone. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. Next verse. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the church, Christ and the church. And this, this chapter gets a little confusing, Ephesians chapter 5, because at some point in the dialogue of Paul talking about husbands and wives, he makes this transition where he's talking about husbands and wives, and then he's talking about Christ in the church, and then he's talking about husbands and wives, then he's talking about Christ in the church, but then he does this statement here. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, that Paul is saying that all of this marriage stuff that I'm talking about is actually leading up to this point, that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. Marriage is a picture of the bride of Christ. That marriage actually is a prophetic picture of Christ and the church. And, and let, me, let me give you some examples of what I mean by a prophetic picture, okay? So this is gonna seem for a second like I'm talking about something completely different but you'll see what I mean here in a moment. So how many of you know in the Bible, when you get to the part in the Old Testament where it starts talking about the measurements of the temple and that you have to make it with this kind of material and it has to be this tall and it has to have this image on it. How many of you have read those portions of Scripture? How many of you completely skip over all of that because you don't have any idea why it's there, right? Why does God put that there? Well, it tells us in Hebrews why he puts that there. Go ahead and go to Hebrews 9. It says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. Next verse. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So why was God so, so specific about the temple? Why did the temple have to be this exact measurement? Why did it have to be this exact height? Why did it have to be made with this this material? 
It's because it was actually a picture, a shadow of what heaven's temple looks like. He wanted us to be able to see on earth to get an image of what it looks like in heaven, what the heavenly temple looks like, what the sanctuary in heaven looks like, what the holy of holies in heaven looks like, that it's a foreshadow, that it's a picture, that it's a prophetic look into what the sanctuaries, what the temple in heaven looks like. It was a shadow. And, and what about this, this next verse, Hebrews chapter 10? It says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So how many of you know throughout the Old Testament, God's telling them, take a bull, sacrifice it for your sin. Take a pigeon, sacrifice it. Take a goat, sacrifice it. But then in Hebrews it says, it's not possible that those things could take away sin. So why, why God, why would you have the entire Old Testament set up all of these laws, all these rituals for blood animal sacrifices when you are going to tell us later in Hebrews that it didn't do anything? It couldn't atone for sin. It was impossible for it to atone for sin. It's because he was foreshadowing what was to come, that the blood of the animals, the, the sacrifice that was made, that sin had to be dealt with, and it had to be dealt with with blood, but the blood of the animals couldn't do it. But there would be a lamb that would come that could take away the sins of the world. And he was painting a picture all throughout the Old Testament of Jesus coming and dying on the cross. It was a prophetic picture of something bigger, of something better that was to come. And throughout the entire Old Testament, you can do this, the entire Old Testament is what's called Christocentric, which means everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of something better to come. It's a foreshadow. It's a, it's a prophetic telling of Jesus, the Messiah of the new covenant that is to come. And that's what marriage is. That marriage is bigger than just your husband and your wife. That marriage is more than just companionship on earth, although it is for that. And the Lord loves that and he created marriage for that so that you could have companionship, so that you could do life together. But let me tell you something, it's much bigger than that. That Paul is telling us here that this great mystery that I'm speaking of is of Christ and the church. That the actual uh, the actual purpose of marriage is actually a foreshadow of oneness that we have with Christ in us. That we have oneness with one another and we have wholeness. We are complete with our spouse, but that's just a picture of what it is and what it means for us to be complete and whole in Christ. That we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. That he loves us. And, and I love I love this because the bridegroom woos us. He's the bride, the husband is the one who wins the heart of the wife. And man, Christ comes along and he wins the heart of his bride. He wins the heart of, his, of, his, of the ones that he loves, of the ones he wants to draw near to himself. And marriage is this giant picture. It's this foreshadow of what it means to be one with Christ. What it means to be one with him. What, is that, what does that even look like? What does it look like to be one with Christ? It means, it means this. It means that you are co-rulers with Christ. It means that you are co-heirs with Christ, that everything Christ has, you have. It means that his throne is your throne. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two says that we are seated with him in heavenly places on Christ's 
throne, that we are one with him. It means that his attributes are our attributes. It means that his holiness is our holiness. It means that his name is our name. We are one with Christ. It means that his authority is our authority. It means that everything that he was able to accomplish on this earth, we are able to accomplish it through Christ because we are one with him. It means, it means that, 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 that when he died on the cross, we died on the cross. It means that when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. That marriage is a picture of the oneness with Christ. It says in John 14, it says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and I am in you. That there is this union that is actually taking place between Christ and us, that we are actually in each other, that we are whole and one in Christ. And that's what marriage is. It's for us because we find companionship. We find wholeness in one another. But then it's also something even greater than that. It's a picture of what it looks like to be whole and one in Christ. Whole and one in Christ. I want to just take a little bit of time this morning. And I just want to pray for two things. I felt, I felt like this is the way the Lord wanted to go when I was preparing. I want to pray for two different things. I want to pray one for our wholeness in Christ. First and foremost. That we would find oneness with Christ and the Father. That that verse in John 15 or 14 that I just quoted, that I am in the Father and He is in me and I in you, that we would begin to operate in the oneness that we're called to operate in. That we would become the bride of Christ fully. That, that we would put on those garments. That we would put on His name and we would walk in that fully. And so, so for those that maybe have never accepted Christ, that aren't walking in that wholeness, I want to pray for you. But then I also want to pray for the ones who have accepted Christ, who have, have been living this Christian walk, but maybe haven't, been, haven't felt that completeness and that wholeness. And maybe you've stepped out of that oneness with Christ. And, and I just want to pray for you that you would walk in that oneness and in that wholeness and in that, that um, completeness in Christ. But then I also, here after that, I, wanna, I, want, I want all of, all of the married couples, those who are maybe be engaged, if there's any of those here, I want all of us to stand up, every one of us, whether your marriage is awesome or whether it's falling apart. No matter what stage you're at in that, I want to just everyone to stand up and I want to pray for that wholeness and that completeness in your marriages and pray for that... Uh, that, uh, that oneness to begin to operate and that, that maybe what was broken could be restored and that, that our companionship with one another would be whole. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray your anointing would come right now, Father. that your presence would come and just sweep through the room, Jesus.
Father, I just thank you for this prophetic picture of marriage. God, I thank you for this, this, this glimpse, this shadow that we can look at here on earth to see what it looks like to be one and whole in Christ. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we don't, don't have to chase after you, but Lord, that you're a God who chases after us, that the bridegroom comes after the bride, Father. Father, I pray right now that you would begin just moving and stirring in our hearts, Father. God, that if we have lost our first love, Lord, God, if we have, have been stale in our pursuit of you, Jesus, Father, that you would come and renew in us a passion to pursue you with everything that we have, Father. God, I love in Ephesians how Paul says that this is a great mystery. Lord, you clothe things in mysteries, Father. And the reason you do that, Lord, is because it is it, because then it's not easy. It's not, it's not just open to the, everybody to find the revelation, that it's only for those who seek the revelation. It's only for the hearts of those who will pay the price in intimacy that find the revelation, that find the wholeness that they seek. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up in this room a room full of seekers, ones that would push past, Lord, confusion, ones that would push past inconvenience, Lord, to pursue you with everything that they have, that they would pursue their bridegroom with everything that they have, Father that we would be seekers, Lord. Lord, and that those who seek, Lord, it's not hard for them to find. That they would find wholeness and satisfaction wholly in you, Jesus. That we would walk in the oneness that you have set for us, Father. The, the oneness that you have intended for us, Lord. That we would walk in your authority. That we would walk, Lord, with your, with, uh, with your, your uh, power, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would take on your name, Father, and become one with you, Jesus. That we would take on the title of righteousness, the title of the ones made righteous before God, the ones who walk in holiness and who are blameless and without spot and wrinkle. Father, I pray wholeness would come upon your people right now in Jesus' name. That wholeness would come upon your people in Jesus' name. God, renew that first love, Lord. Renew that first love feeling, Jesus. Let us become seekers of your presence. Father, I just pray for each and every marriage that's here this morning, Lord. God, no matter what stage they're at in their marriage, Lord, whether they've been married 50 years or maybe just a few years, whether their marriage is, is strong, whether their marriage is, is crumbling, Lord, whatever, whatever the scenario right now, Father, I just lift up and I bless each and every marriage here, Lord Jesus. God, I bless each and every marriage. And Lord, I just pray for wholeness to come to every marriage, Father. 
that wholeness would come right now, Lord. Lord, supernatural wholeness, Jesus. God, that every marriage in this room, Lord, would be as you intended it to be, Lord. Would be one man and one woman, Lord, who find union with one another, who find oneness with one another, Jesus. God, I pray you would rekindle in every every married person's heart just a renewed passion for each other, Jesus. That they would have a renewed passion for each other, that their love for each other would just supernaturally grow even right now, that their affection that they feel for their spouse would begin to grow even greater than it's ever been before right now, Father. God, and if there's brokenness in their marriage, God, I just pray for supernatural healing right now, Jesus. That you would mend broken hearts, Father. God, that there would be redemption in every marriage, Lord. God, if there's been things said, if there's been things done that have been painful and been hurtful, Father, I pray that those wounds would begin to be bound up right now, Father that there would be healing in each and every marriage, Lord, that is broken and that is struggling, Father. God, I just pray wholeness over this body. Wholeness over this body, Lord, for every marriage and for every person, Father. I pray wholeness over each and every person, Jesus. Bless you.